Last time we got together, we started to look at the, uh, the problem of the hungry and the homeless. And um, I think we began to soon realize that the causes and ultimately the solutions go far beyond the typical uh, answers that we see in society. That is, we need to build more shelters. We need to uh, come up with more food. We need to raise more money. And while all those things may be appropriate, on a sh uh, appropriate and even necessary on a short-term basis, one of the things that we need to look at is we need to understand the root causes and the problem, that the root causes that lead to the symptoms or the problems that we see in our culture and uh, deal with those. You know, it's amazing to me how often we hear of a problem in society and uh, somehow we come to the conclusion that that particular problem doesn't affect me. Uh, it, it's interesting because I, I got some feedback last week and I announced that we're going to be talking about the problem of the hungry and the homeless and there were people who decided not to come to hear that because, well, what's that have to do with me? And it's interesting because I, I think it's important that we realize that there isn't a problem in our culture, first of all, that doesn't impact us in some way. And secondly, any time that we pick up this book and we open it and we begin to study what the Word of God has to say about any particular subject or topic, then, the, you know, I can guarantee you this, that it's practical, that it's relevant, that it does apply to you, it does apply to me, because in the Word of God it says that when God's Word goes out, it never comes back empty, and that it is profitable. There is some benefit to open the Bible, to study it, to see what God has to say as far as those who are in need, the problem of poverty, the problem of hunger, the problem of homelessness in our culture, that when we look at what the Bible has to say, the Word of God says it is profitable for teaching or instruction, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that, or right living, that you and I, as men and women of God, will be adequately equipped to do the work that God has called us to do. And so when we consider the problem of the hungry or homeless or those who are in need or those who would approach us and say they have a need and how can we respond to it, if you want to be adequately equipped to do the right thing, you need to understand what the Bible teaches on the subject. So I would hope that you never get to the point in your own personal life where you hear a subject or a topic and say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me. In fact, let me challenge you. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever come to this meeting place together when we've studied the Word of God, assuming that you were awake, assuming that you did participate, that you were studying along with us, that you were challenged by what we're saying? How many of you have ever left here and said, that was a waste of time? Did you ever? It's not because of me. It's because if we open the Word of God and we study it and we're dedicated to study it to look at what God has to say about the issues of life, then I'll guarantee you, based on His authority, not on mine, that it will never be a waste of time. It will always be worthwhile. Why? Because it's always profitable. There's always a benefit to it. Now, if you fall asleep, then that's your problem. Now, even then you walk out thinking, there was a benefit there. I got a nice little rest. Uh, picked up a little snoozy, and that was pretty nice. But, you know, now the problem, now, if, I'm gonna, now here's what I'm going to do, because I don't want you leaving and ever thinking it was a waste of time. So if I see you sleeping, I'm going to come on down and sit right next to you. <laughs> I am. Is that right? I'm going to do that. I'll just sit down next to you, and in a nice way, just whisper to you. But then with this little thing, everybody will hear our conversation. But that's okay. But that's what we'll do. So just keep that in mind if you're tired. Anyway, where are we? Okie dokie. Here's where we're going to go. Consider this. With that out of the way, let's, let's move on to more important and, uh, and the issue at hand. 
The last time we got together, we were going to look at four things that dealt with the problem of those who have a need in our society or those who have a need in our families or those who are close to us or whatever. And we began to look at four things that the Bible talks about in relationship to those who are in need. The first thing that we saw was that the Bible teaches the reality of poverty. And this is interesting because as we look at what the Bible has to say, Jesus himself spoke these words. He said, the poor you will always have with you, and you will always have opportunities to meet their needs. It will always be a challenge for us while we are here on earth to recognize that there are going to be people in the have and have not categories. There's always going to be a challenge to recognize if God has put us in a have category, whatever the have is, that we have a responsibility to understand that there are those who have not, and we need to try to figure out what we're supposed to do with what God has blessed us with. So the poor are always going to be with us. It will always be a challenge. And it's interesting, too, because it sure flies in the face of all those uh, teachers that are out there talking about prosperity, health, and wealth, and all the rest of the doctrines and, and heresy that's going on as far as, hey, you know what? There should never be suffering. There should never be sickness. There should never be want. There should never be needs. There should never be problems uh, as long as we have faith. Well, the interesting thing is Jesus said the poor will always be with you. There's always going to be problems. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, I don't understand how that, you know, how that relates, except for that it's a lie. Anyway, the second thing is that the poor are like the rich, and they're like the rich in many ways. Every one of us are created by God. Therefore, we should have an identity with people around us. You have been created in the image and likeness of God. I have been created in the image and likeness of God, regardless of race, culture, creed, background, geographic orientation, whatever it is, we should always have something in common with one another, and that is that we've all been created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, we have an identity with one another. And as a result, we should have compassion on humanity because we are a member of that particular group that God has created. But the poor are like the rich in that they die too. So it doesn't matter how much money you have. One day, it's appointed unto God for you to die, and then comes judgment. So money is not going to protect you from the judgment of God. In our culture, we're led to believe that money is the answer to every problem in life. In reality, it's not. Because money will never, ever buy you into the presence of God. God doesn't need your money, and so that's not going to be his entrance requirement. You're not going to grease his palm to get into heaven. The reality is it's not going to get you anywhere. You're leaving it all behind. And we need to understand that. That's very important. It's crucial to understand that every one of us will go naked before God just as we came into the world and be judged according to what we did with the gospel of Jesus Christ, how we responded to his provision for sin. So the poor are like the rich. The poor are often better than the rich. And it's important to understand this as we get into the reasons of poverty. God says the poor are better than the rich in many ways in that if you have little, but you have it with integrity, and it's been done right before God, and that's what he has chosen to bless you with, you're far better off than those who have much more that have no integrity in how they've got what they have obtained. So we'll look at that in detail. And the poor also can be examples to the rich in that, you know what, there's nothing that just sticks to your heart quicker than watching someone who has, quote, less than you materially being more generous as they meet the needs of others than you are who has much more. And so we're constantly challenged to consider what are we supposed to be doing? What needs are we supposed to meet? Who are we supposed to help? Who aren't we supposed to help? And that's practical, that's relevant, and certainly it has to do with every one of us. So it cracked me up that anyone could ever say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with me. It does. 
Second, we saw the relationship of God to the poor. And the Bible clearly teaches that God never forgets the poor, that God will never forsake the poor, and that God never fails them. In reality, oftentimes we realize that God never fails them because he uses his people to meet those needs. And we need to understand that. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37, and this will bring us up to where we left off last week. Psalm 37, verses 16 through 25, say much about the whole problem of need in our culture and God's faithfulness as he meets those needs. The biggest problem that we have is trying to identify and address what a need is versus what a want, what a greed, and all the rest of it is. And uh, that's where the difficulty comes in. In Psalm 37, verse 16, and it, and it also highlights the last point that I made as far as how we obtain, obtain things, but he says, Better is the, little, is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. Put that in the back of your mind. It's important to understand. Because what God's principle is, is don't, don't ever let this fool you. And, and, I, and I sense this, and I sense discouragement on the part of many people. But we look around us at the culture in which we live, and it would appear that there are those who live in ways that aren't pleasing to God, yet seem to benefit while they're here on earth. It would appear to be true. There are those who obtain things in ways that aren't pleasing to God. They have. You may have not. And the reason you don't have is because here you are doing things the way God says to do it, and yet for some reason you don't seem to be getting ahead. And so you get discouraged and disheartened as you look around you and think, you know what, this isn't working. But God says very clearly, you know what, it's better to have a little and be righteous than to have a whole bunch and be wicked because you know why? I'm going to bust those wicked arms. Ooh, I mean, now that gets my attention. I don't know about you, but it's like, you know, it's kind of like reaching out to get something and God just snaps it. And he could do that very easily. And he says he will. For the arms of the wicked will be broken. That's a promise of God. But the Lord sustains the righteous. For the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil and in the days of famine they will have abundance. God promises never to leave us, never to forsake us, that he will meet our needs. The problem is, 1 Timothy 6 says, with food and clothing, these things we shall be content. He says, look at the birds of the air and all the grass of the field. With the, the basic things, God will sustain us. In the days of famine, God will take care of us. When we have need, God will meet that need. But not our wants, not our desires, not our greeds, not, you know, whatever we think our needs are. God knows what our needs are. He says, but the wicked will perish and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They will vanish away. So as we look at all of these things, we begin to realize that God makes certain promises. The wicked borrows and they do not repay, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. I have been young and I have been old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. I like that. Because sometimes we need hindsight to see how perfect God's timing is. You know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty, and what he's doing is he's looking back in his life and saying, you know what, now I had a chance to really think about it, God's people never went without. They were never begging in the streets. 
they were always provided for. God always kept his promises. And sometimes we just need that encouragement. We need that comfort. We need that uh, compassion as we're going through difficult times because all of us will. And as we look at that, we need to understand that God does care about our needs while we're here on earth. This isn't just pie-in-the-sky eternity thing that God cares about. He not only cares about that, but he cares about you and me today. There isn't anything that you're struggling with that he doesn't care about today. And that includes those around us who also have a need. But the reality of all of that is we need to understand that many of the problems that you and I have, we have because we have made wrong choices before God. And we need to understand that, and we can't sidestep it, and we can't skate away from it, and we can't pretend it's not a reality. Many of the problems that you and I have in life are problems that are a direct result of our disobedience to God. And we need to recognize that our, those are the reasons or the reality of poverty. And so as we go through this, I want you to consider what God has to say about some of the realities. And really what this will do, this will help us in a practical way to deal with the issue of who do we help and who don't we help. And we'll also deal with, well, how do we help them in ways that it would be you know, good for them as well. But if you look at this, we saw the first thing was disobedience. Reasons for poverty, number one, is simply disobedience. And as we go through it, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me for, in a moment, for a moment to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26, verse 1 through 5. In Leviticus 26, verses 1 through 5, God deals with the area that we're talking about. And he says... You shall not make for yourselves idols, nor set up for yourselves an image or sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down before it. For I am your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, for I am the Lord. If you walk in my commandments and statutes, and you keep them and carry them out, then I'll give you rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce, and the trees of the fruit will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, and grape gathering will last until sowing time. You shall thus eat your food to the full and live securely in the land. God, is, there's a principle at stake here, and he says, you know, if we live lives that are in obedience to God, that there are certain things that we can expect from God, and that is that he will meet our needs. Now, when we live in disobedience to God, there are also certain things that we can equally expect, and that is that he will make sure that we suffer in some way to get our attention so that we can repent and we can get right with God and we can start doing the right thing again. So in verse 18, he says, if also, if also after these things you don't obey me, and he's warning them, saying, hey, you know what, you need to pay attention, wake up and do what's right. If after I've warned you and you don't obey these things, then I'll punish you seven times more for your sins. I will also break down your pride of power. I will also make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength will be spent uselessly, for your land shall not yield its produce, and the trees, uh, trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. It's interesting because what God is saying is, you know what? If you're obedient, I will bless you. If you are disobedient, then you're going to work your tail off, you're going to spin your wheels, and you're not going to get anywhere. And it's going to cause you to stop and to evaluate and examine yourself and ask yourself a difficult question. Am I experiencing the judgment of God because I am not obedient in an area of my life 
And as a result, I look and see that I'm not getting ahead or I'm struggling in an area. And because of that, I need to analyze, hey, what am I doing wrong? Lord, show me if there's any wicked way in me. Show me if I am experiencing the consequences of your judgment. Is there something that I'm doing? I'll guarantee you this. If you've come to know Christ as your Savior and the Spirit of God lives within you, and you pray that prayer and you say, Lord, show me if there's anything displeasing to you, get ready to start writing down. That's just the way God is, and He's serious about it. He wants His people to live holy and righteous lives before God. You, I'll challenge you. You do that. You sometimes, hey, Lord, is there anything I'm doing that's not pleasing to you? Well, I've been telling you, but I'm glad that you're asking because now you'll hear this very clearly. And it's about time you came to that decision because you are going down a road that's leading to nothing but trouble. And so when God clearly reveals something in His Word and we ignore that, we cannot expect God to bless us. What are some of the reasons of poverty in your life, my life, the people around us who have a need? We have to stop and analyze and ask the question, is what they're suffering the direct result of the judgment of God? Now listen to me. If it is, there's not enough money in the world you can ever give that person that's going to take care of the problem. It's symptomatic in nature. You can't build enough shelters, you can't give enough food, you can't give enough money, you can't do enough to put a band-aid on something that God's trying to deal with that's symptomatic, and God's saying, I'm dealing with the root, and the root is, as long as that person is continuing to be disobedient in their life, I will continue to judge them, and you are being foolish and not using the resources I've given you in a proper way. You cannot help someone that God is judging. That's our problem, and we don't want to recognize that. It's the whole problem we have in society of everything that we've seen throughout this series. You cannot make a condom that's going to protect people from having sex outside of marriage if God says that that's wrong. You can't keep doing stuff like that. You can't do all the things that we're trying to do as a society to protect ourselves from the consequences of disobedience before God. And it's a waste. It's a waste of time. And it's frustrating to you, and it's frustrating to the people in your family, and it's frustrating to those who have a need, and it's frustrating if you stop and think about it. I've been giving them money, giving them money, giving them money, giving them money, and they still got the same problem, still got the same problem, and I'm running out of money. And as soon as you do, guess where they'll go? To the next person that has some money. Wake up, people. Man, I don't know what it's going to take. But the second thing is, God says, okay, look how this manifests itself in different ways. Negligence. We saw that if you do not work hard and you do not do a good job, then you will not be employed. And as a result, if you are not working, you are not getting paid. And if you're not getting paid, you're not going to have money to provide for the needs of your life. Therefore, you will become, quote, needy. And all of it has to do with the fact that you had an opportunity, you messed it up because you didn't work hard, you weren't diligent, you didn't show up on time, you didn't put any effort into it, you're going through the motions and you expected somebody to pay you for doing nothing. And so we end up in a situation where we have a need in our life and God said, look, I gave you the opportunity. You didn't take advantage of the opportunity. Is it because God wasn't faithful to provide for our needs? Absolutely not. We've got a problem that we need to deal with. We need to understand. And God says, not only that, but hey, when, I, when you had the job and you were making good money, then you should have been saving some for the future because it doesn't last forever and you need to be preparing for things that are going to happen in the future. But what did you do? Well, that's the, the next item that we need to look at. But what you did was, hey, turn with me in your Bibles and we'll take a look at some of the things that God has to say. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. Proverbs 12, verse 11. And I want you to think about, and this really becomes a matter of people that you know that are in need, that are close to you, that you can examine their life, you can see the results of some of the things that they've done. 
Now, it's very difficult, and that's why, let me just share this with you, it's very difficult to meet the needs of a stranger that you don't know what's going on in their, their background and their life. So, let, let me deal with this, and, and we'll come back to it. Well, let me come back to it later. That way you have to pay attention to see if I remember to come back to it. All right, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting all excited here. All right, Proverbs chapter 12. I just need to calm down. All right. All right. Now, was that? I heard that. All right, Proverbs 12. Look at verse 11. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues vain things lacks sense. All right? You work, you till the land, you have plenty of, you'll be provided for. But you start pursuing vain things, and, and you're going to have a problem. Now, the problem is, what are vain things? Look at chapter 21, verse 17. Chapter 21, verse 17. All right? God answers it. You say, well, what's a vain thing? Well, here's a vain thing. Proverbs 21, verse 17. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. If you work hard, you'll be provided for. God will bless those efforts. But if you pursue vain things... Now, the question is, what are vain things? Well, read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon says this, vanity of vanities. All things are vanity when you're pursuing them in a way that's not pleasing to God. And one specific area he said was, and so I pursued pleasure. And you know what I found at the end of that road? It was vanity. It was vain. It was one of those things that looked good on the surface, and when I went to grab it, and the word has to do with the idea of a pretty soap bubble, and as you could see it floating by, saying pleasure was like a soap bubble. And when the sun shone on it, man, it was pretty and it had all these colors and I thought this would be the answer to life. And when I went and I grabbed onto it, it burst right in my hands and at the end of everything I did, there was nothing left. Interesting point. Because what God is saying, the reason of poverty in many of our lives is that we've lived a life that James says is a life of wanton pleasure. We have lived to please ourselves. We have pursued things that were, we were led to believe would bring satisfaction and joy and happiness and all the things the world has to offer and all the things the advertisements have to say. And we pursue those things. And guess what? They end up at a dead-end road that says, you are now broke. This is what kills me about people that have a need. They come to you and say, you know what? I'm, I'm, I, I have a need. Well, what have you done with everything that God has blessed you with? Well, you know what? Drugs, alcohol, travel, vacation, expensive dinners, all the things that I could ever buy when God gave me the resources to do it. And you look at that and you've got to ask yourself a question. Is that wise? Is that a wise thing to do? Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with taking a vacation. Nothing wrong with having a nice dinner. There's nothing wrong with, you know, enjoying what God has blessed us with but we need to ask ourselves some questions. Are we doing it in a way that's pleasing to God? Are we doing it in a way that's selfish and trying to just enjoy life? Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. No sense leaving anything behind. You know what I'm saying? I want to ask you a question because this is difficult. When you see someone, and I know because we've got you know, people in our own family and this is a very real issue and we deal with it on a regular basis, but when you see people who God has given opportunities to, and because of problems in their life, whether they haven't worked hard or whether they've gotten involved in drugs or alcohol and things of that nature and lost those opportunities, 
or whether every penny that they got they ever, they, they ever had they spent on themselves to enjoy life. When they get to the end of that street and say, we don't have any money left, now you have a responsibility to help me out. I say, no, I don't. I say, but you call yourself a Christian. I say, no, I don't. God calls me a Christian. The Bible defines whether I'm a Christian. I don't call myself that at all. I'm fortunate that God calls me one of his kids. But he also doesn't call me stamp stupid on my head. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, it's like, wait a minute now. If, if we are going to live lives that are pleasing to God, and we're going to do things that are right before God, and God continues to bless that effort and also the obedience, and we end up in a situation where we're in the position to meet the needs of those who are genuinely in need... Oh my goodness, how irresponsible it would be for me or my family and my wife to be able to help someone or give somebody something that, is a, they, that they are experiencing the judgment of God. How wrong that would be. Yet how difficult it is too. Because that's the kind of stuff you've got to put up with. That's the kind of indictment that will be thrown your way. And you call yourself a Christian. Oh, absolutely. But I'm also responsible before God to use His resources in a manner and a way that's pleasing to Him. And the fact that you're suffering the results of your own pleasure-filled lifestyle, God warns you that that's exactly the end road of that. So you either get right before God or you get left, buddy. And that's the way it is. And so we need to understand there are genuine, legitimate reasons that people experience poverty in their life, and God clearly points those out to us. A lot of it has to do with, you know, how many people you know they live paycheck to paycheck? And Why? Because they want material things that stretch them. They get in debt. They want to enjoy life. They want everything that life has to offer. And they want to be able to do it and, and be somehow immune to the, to the consequences of living here on earth. So they take every penny that they have. And if they can go on a trip, they go on a trip. If they can go out to eat, they go out to eat. If they can spend it on booze and drugs, they do whatever they want to do. And then when they run out of money or their job, there's a recession. Or they get laid off. Or they lose their job. Or they lose their, their, their somehow or another their, their means of making a living. Then all of a sudden, God's not faithful anymore. All all of a sudden it's your responsibility to take care of them it's my responsibility to take care of them and that is not true we need to understand that now some people aren't going to like to hear that but let's stop and be real about it what does the bible teach the fourth thing it teaches is you know what there's oftentimes we end up in a result we end up with want in our life or needs in our life because we're not honest we are disobedient before god and god doesn't bless that effort and as we look at this, we need to understand it. You know, here's one illustration we saw, Psalm 20, uh, 37, 21. It says, the, the wicked borrow, and they do not repay. This is interesting. Because just because something is legal in our culture doesn't make it morally right before God. We wrestle with this and deal with this all the time. You've got people who hide behind what they call a corporate shield, and they don't personally guarantee anything, and they can go out and they can buy, 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 sell, 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 bring in receivables, bring in money, and then leave all their creditors out hanging. They don't pay their bills. Why not? Well, because they haven't guaranteed anything. So what do they do? In our country, wonderful country that it is, we allow them to file bankruptcy and walk away from all their obligations and debts, keep everything that they can as long as they're not guaranteeing anything, and even then we can't touch their house or any other assets that are personal in nature. And so we walk down the street and we allow them to open another business and start it all over again. But let me tell you something, what God has to say. If that's how you got your money, that's how you obtained your wealth, then God says this, he's going to break your arms. 
Now, you may, you, know, you may think you're getting away with it, but don't you deceive yourself. God's not mocked. What a man sows is what he reaps. And oftentimes, we need to look at this whole co concept of dishonesty and ask some interesting questions of ourselves. Are we honest? Do we have integrity in how we conduct ourselves in our life? I'll give you a great illustration. My partner got a call a couple weeks ago from someone they knew from soccer. And uh, they were having a problem with their air conditioning system. And they said, hey, can you come out and look at this thing? For some reason, it's just not working. It's just not doing the job it's supposed to do. So he said, fine. He sw swings by. He looks at it. You know, looks at the unit, looks at the house, and, you know, measures things up and checks the pressure, does all the things you're supposed to do. And then he, he looks at it, and he, and he goes, man. And he looks at the unit, calls me, and says, hey, this is a model number on this thing. Do you remember what this is? And, and I knew what it was. And I said, yeah, it's a three-and-a-half-ton system. And he goes, hmm. So he went back to the homeowner and said, well, when, when they did the room addition and stuff, you just had this unit put in. What size was it? They said, oh, it was a five-ton unit. I said, well, can you get the contract out? So they grabbed the contract, looked at it, read it, went through it, and uh, guess what? Sold them a five-ton unit and sold a three-and-a-half-ton unit. Hard to compete against someone that does something like that. But it's two-and-a-half two year, two years later, right? So two-and-a-half years, this person thinks, hey, you know what? I'm getting away with all this stuff. I can do this, and I'm not going to get caught. And you know what? Maybe I'll never get caught here on earth. Do you think God didn't see that? you think God's mocked by that? See, what I learned from it is this. You know what? We live in a very difficult world at times, and sometimes we're tempted to try to compete like everybody else does. We try to become what everybody else is doing. You, you, you know, a good friend of ours had some landscaping done. They wouldn't know a 50-gallon tree from a 5-gallon tree. I mean, who does, right? Unless that's what you do for a living. You wouldn't know a 5-ton air conditioner from a 2-ton air conditioner. All you know is that, you know, how heavy is that? And, and you know, and that's that type of thing, right? But... The problem is that you don't know. And so there are many opportunities that we have in this life to compromise our integrity in the order and the effort to try to come up with material resources. And God says, you know what? There's a reason that people end up in need in their life. Maybe it's because they lied, they cheat, they stole, and that's why their business went out of business. That's why they're suffering the consequences of the problem. Maybe there's something not clean about the way they conducted themselves. And God says, you know what? I'm not mocked by any of that. Payday one day. There's a lot of things that we need to consider when we're dealing with the problem of need in our culture and society. And we need to understand that some of it has to do with just good old-fashioned doing what's right. Dishonesty. Ask yourself the question. It's interesting. How many of us are duped into believing because something has become legal in our culture that somehow or another that that's now morally right before God? The wicked borrow and they do not repay. And God's not mocked by it and he says, for the dishonest, I will break their arms. Number five, how about selfishness? That falls right in line with everything that we talked about. Proverbs 11, 24 through 26. Proverbs 11, 24 through 26. It says, there's one who scatters yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The generous man will prosper. He who waters will himself be watered. You know what's amazing to me? Have you ever seen a generous person? Have you ever seen a person who just gives and gives and gives and gives like that little rabbit battery thing that just keeps on going and going? They just keep going giving and giving to the most generous people they ever see, and yet they always seem to have everything that they ever need? They just keep giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. Well, you know what's interesting principle, and it's a spiritual one, and it's one that doesn't make any sense to, to a natural mind, but God says this. If you continue to give as I am encouraging you to give, to whom I encourage you to give, to meet the needs of those that I encourage you to meet, if you continue to do that, you'll, your needs will always be met. 
but the one who holds on to, the one who says, I can't help you because we're barely getting by. Then you know what God says? You always barely get by because you don't understand the, the resources that are available to God. You can't give your stuff away quick enough in the right areas and to the right people and for the right needs. You can't give it away quick enough without God refilling it. He says, man, check me out on this. You empty your barns out, I'll fill them back up. You keep giving, I'll keep giving. This is a neat game that God wants to play with you. But I gave it away. Well, I gave it back. Well, I tried to give it away again. Now I keep giving it back. Oh, this is funny. I can't I give God. You can't do that. And we wonder why some people end up with want and need in their life. Because they've been selfish their whole life. They've lived to please themselves and nobody else. They haven't met another need of another human being, nor would they ever consider it. And we need to recognize that God doesn't honor that. We also see this, the sin of pride. The sin of pride. You know how pride manifests itself in this kind of a way. Work? Why should I work? Man, I make more money on unemployment with benefits than I do working. Hey, that's beneath me. I'm used to making 20 bucks an hour. Someone wants to give me a job making 10 bucks an hour? Well, by the time I collect unemployment and I make a little cash under the table on the side and I add all these things up together, I'm making more money than if I was working for $10 an hour, man. Why would I want to work for 10 bucks an hour or 5 bucks an hour or 20 bucks an hour when I'm used to making a lot more than that? What's the root problem? Pride? I'm worth more than that. The world owes me something. And I'm not working for it, and there's no reason to if I can get the benefits of not working in the culture that we live in that hands money to people who'd rather not work. What happens when you're the guy that's, that's busting your tail down the street and you see your buddy who's on unemployment making cash under the table doing a couple odd jobs and you're working your heart out for you know whatever minimum wages or a little bit more and you're like, man, I can't get ahead and this guy seems to be doing better than I am. What does it do? It just robs all the incentive right out of your heart. You talk about disheartening and discouraging, but we've got to continue to remember that little with righteousness is better than ample with wickedness. We have to continue to go back to the promises of God and trust God at what He says and take Him at His word. It's still better to work, regardless of how, quote, little we're gaining from it, than to sit around and not work and to have our culture somehow or another feed us to become more and more irresponsible and dependent on that type of a lifestyle. And also, somebody came up to me and they, they, they challenged me and they asked me this. They said, man, you know, that, you know, we get really discouraged at times. And it, and it makes sense to the human mind that if you can get more for doing less, that seems the right way to go. Right? I said, but let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you be better off developing that work ethic in your life and working hard and allowing God to bless you and honor what you're doing. Because one day what's going to happen in this country is we're all going to wake up and we're all going to say to ourselves, this is the dumbest system in the world and we need to change it. We need to change our tax laws. We need to change those who represent us. We need to change a society that has gotten away from biblical principles. And you're going to be standing in this, oh, the freebie line over here. And by the time you get up to the front, they're going to shut the window. And they're going to say, sorry, we have no more to hand out. Because everybody got wise, they woke up. And they said, we're not going to do this anymore. Because we're going to go back to living according to the principles of God once again. We're going to go back to, hey, there's... Let him who was not willing to work, <laughs> let him starve. Let him not eat. And we need to understand this. We need to look at what God has to say. Because pride is what's keeping us in the way. Get rich quick. 
Oh, I got to make a quick buck. So you take your money, the little resources you have, and you put it into something. Man, I'm going to parlay it. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to bet. I'm going to gamble. I'm going to make a, a ton of money. I'm going to put this in this high-risk investment, and I'm going to roll the dice, man. And this, I'm going to make it all. I'm going to just do it all at once. Hey, you know what? When you want to get rich quick, then there's nothing but poverty ahead of you. Also, partiality, which has to do with, you know what? I only help people that can help me. I only, you know, I only pat your back if you can pat my back. I only help you when you have a time of need if I know that one day you're going to be able to help me back. And God hates partiality because God's not a respecter of people. And the last thing, and the most interesting thing of all, and the test and the challenge is this. Do you realize that sometimes need is not a result of disobedience on our part? Sometimes it may be the result of disobedience on someone else's part. You do everything right. Somebody owes you money. They don't pay. They get away with it. Had nothing to do with what you did. Had nothing to do with you being disobedient before God. It has a lot to do with living in a fallen world. But it also has a lot to do with the fact that God allows us to be tested because he says this, Consider joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance has its perfect result, which is maturity. See, sometimes we are tested in that we don't have, quote, our needs met because God is testing our heart to see if we really love God. To see if we really will do what's right before God. To see if we will, we will lie or cheat or steal or file bankruptcy or hide behind corporate shields or try to come up with money in, in ways that aren't pleasing to God. God allows us to be tested and, it, and you can consider it joy. And it's joyous when you realize it's not a direct result of something that you've done disobedient in your life. I can consider testing and trials joy when I realize that I'm not the one who's caused it. It's not discipline on the part of God, but it's because He loves me and He wants me to grow and learn something about myself. As in the case of Job, which is no coincidence, his name was spelled J-O-B, Job. He's the first guy that lost his, by the way, and, and God tested him by he lost his job. Sometimes you lose your job and you are a good worker. Sometimes you lose your job because of the results of a bad economy or whatever we want to call it. Sometimes those types of things happen to good people. But you can consider it joy because God has allowed it to produce endurance in your life and also to bring about spiritual growth, which is much more important than any physical growth we'll ever go through. So now you ask yourself your question, you put these all together, what are we supposed to do? How do we respond to people in need? Let me give you three application points. Number one, let me tell you this. If you are suffering as a result of disobedience in your life, there's always a, a fix for that. And you know what it's called? Confess your sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness. What it means is you confess your sin, you repent from it, and you walk from it. Now, we also have to be understanding that, you know what, if there are people in our lives that have need in their life, and even if it's a result of disobedience before God, if they've confessed that sin before God, and they have turned from it, and they're walking from it, then they're, be, they're, they're put into that, you know what, maybe we should help them category. But when you've got a person who's experiencing need in their life as a result of all of these things, because they're disobedient, because they're negligent, because they, they live to please themselves, because they're dishonest, because they're selfish, because all this, let me just give you a little help in understanding something. Don't help them with money. Tell them the truth that their behavior is causing their poverty. Challenge them with the truth of the word of God and tell them there's nothing that you can do for them to escape the judgment of God. 
They need to confess and get right before God, repent from what they're doing, and make it right. It's interesting that Zacchaeus, who was a man who said, if I've stolen from anybody, I'm going back to him and I'm making it right. Some of us, as God's people, are ripping people off and we have never made it right. We need to confess it and then we need to go back and we need to make it right because God will not honor us until we do that. Stop fooling yourselves. God's not mocked by us. We're not smarter than him. We're not getting away with anything. We need to understand the relationship of God to the, to, to, uh, of us to the poor, our response, is interesting because we need to determine, and it, and it means sometimes, like people say, you playing God. I'm not playing God. God's God, but I have a responsibility as a manager of his resources to do what I know is the right thing to do before God. It's interesting, there's many reasons for poverty. Listen to this. Marvin Olasky calls... In the, in the, at times in the history of the church, in a historian, he says, there are, there are those who are called the worthy poor. Listen to this. This is important to understand. What he's saying is not every poor person is worthy of help. He says there are people who are worthy, of, worthy to be helped. There were people who were, quote, willing, number one, to work. There were people that were willing to work in return for help. There were people that studied hard to get an education so they could become productive to our society. There were people that were faithful to their spouse. There were people that were faithful to their children. There were people that stayed off of drugs and alcohol. And he says, and you know what? Historically, those people didn't remain poor very long. And to such people, our response should be simply this. Number one, show mercy. We need to show mercy. There are people who are suffering as a result of their own actions, but they've come to the knowledge of the fact that what they've done was wrong, and they come to you and say, you know what, I'm sorry for what I've done, I realize I've caused my own problems, and if there's any way that you can help me, please help. But we've got to be careful, because we all heard that before too. We have to see a demonstration of faithfulness, a demonstration that they really have turned from it. And maybe sometimes it means you have to lay down the law and say, look, I'll help you, but if I catch you drinking again, that's it. If I catch you doing drugs again, that's it. I'll help you. We're available for you. But here's the parameters. You're going to have to go back to school if you're a young person. You're going to have to get an education. You're going to have to go out and get a job. I'm going to check with your employer to make sure that you're showing up on time, that you're working hard, that you're diligent, that you're making an effort. I'm going to check into you. I'm going to be a, I am going to make you accountable to me because I'm accountable to God. And if I've got to be accountable to him for the resources he's given me that I've, I've got to give to you, then I want to make sure that you're holding up your end of this thing. Sometimes that's tough love, and that's what it takes. And that's what we, we have to get back to understanding. We need to show mercy, but there's also accountability. That's why I would never hand money to somebody standing on a street corner. And you know why? Because I don't know what the background is. I don't know why they're standing there. I don't know what they're doing. But what I would tell them is very simply this. Hey, you know what? Go to this church. Go to this Salvation Army. Go to the Union Rescue Mission. Go to this place or that place. You know why? Because there are people there that are trained to make sure these people aren't scamming. There are people that are trained to make sure these people really want help. There are people there to hold them accountable for their actions and say, you know what, we're here to help you, we're willing to do that, but we're going to require something of you too. But you know what happens? I'll tell you what happens. God's people, we feel so guilty about things all the time, so we see somebody, they look at us, and we hurry up and hand them money. You know why? Because we don't have a purpose in plan and giving. We don't give regularly. We don't understand what God's called us to do, and so we feel guilty about it. Somebody calls on the phone. We all, sure, okay, fine. Somebody see you outside, sure, okay, fine. And we do these things because we don't have a purpose. We don't have a plan. We don't understand giving. We don't understand stewardship. And so what we try to do is get off the hook as quick as we can. 
God says, no, 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 that's too easy. You need to understand, we need to show mercy, but there's also accountability, and there's also responsibility, and that other person has to demonstrate that as well. Man, you know what? We need to change our whole welfare system. We need to get back to the days where if you want a handout, a tax-fed handout, then you need to work. We're not going to let you sit home. We're not going to let you sit home and do drugs. We're not going to let you sit home and drink and feel sorry for yourself. We're not going to let you sit home and watch Oprah or whatever you're doing during the day and having bonbons and ho-hos. We're not going to let you do any of that stuff. If you want money, if you want something, then we'll come up with some way to make you work for it. I don't know what it is. I mean, mean, they used to make you plant trees. You know, and all the tree-loving organizations now it's like gee what a great idea except for wait we can't plant trees and give away stuff for free because we want to be able to do everything that's stupid all at one time <laughs> not there's anything wrong with planting trees but more and more interested in saving trees than in saving people you know so let's start and look at this man i mean you want something then you go out and work for it i don't care if you're cleaning the highway painting the building you're building shelter you're doing whatever to meet immediate needs whatever you're going to do those are fine but you're going to work for it from now on and we're not going to make you give you an incentive not to work Man, that's just too simple and too biblical, huh? Second thing is, we need to help people without making a profit. Here's an interesting problem that we have in our culture. All these so-called non-profit organizations that are set up end up becoming a bureaucratic nightmare so that the officers and people that are involved and started it can make absorbent salaries to meet the needs of other people, and they call themselves non-profit. Well, how much of the need actually goes to the needy? How much of the revenue actually goes to the needy? You know what's happening? You got you know uh, um, organizations that, that raise funds. They call. They get 50, 60 percent of every dollar that they raise, and then they have the rest of it. 30 or 40 percent goes to administration and general administration and fees, and then at least 10 percent, 5 percent, 2 percent to go to quote the need of the people that they're raising money to meet. What's wrong with that picture? See, we get this middleman philosophy. It's called government. You know, and government's got these smoke and mirrors, and they say, you know what? Well, we can go ahead and meet the needs of the poor, and what we do is, you give us $100, we'll give them $2, and we'll keep all the rest for ourselves. That's nuts. Why don't we just go direct? Cut out the middleman. That's what I say in business. Get, just cut them out. Because it's not getting us anywhere. Think about it. That's what happens. I told you we've got 5 million government workers handing out you know, $109 billion a year uh, to 42 million people that are of an age and health that they could be working for a living. What's wrong with that picture? Well, it all goes back to this. God says, you know what? You want to help somebody, you help them, but you don't make a profit. You're just meeting their need. You just go direct and you meet their need. Number three, and the last thing is, you also need to give what's needed. James chapter 2 says, you know what? We need to give what's needed. You can't sell somebody be warm and be, be filled. You can't somebody, you know, hey, you need clothes, but we're not giving you clothes. You need food, but we're not going to give you food. Because, you know what, it's, there's that old saying, you know what, the world won't care, wait, the world won't care about how much we know until it knows how much we care. And that's so true, and it's still true today. If we want to reach people with the love of Christ, we need to let them know that we really do care. But we also care in a way that is intelligent, that's sound, that's biblical, and that cuts right through all the smoke and mirrors and gets to the root issue and the root matter and the root problem, and that is just plain disobedience before God oftentimes. We need to get right back to it and say, you know what, you need to get right before God because God's not mocked by any of it. We've examined the whole problem of hungry and homeless, and you know what, it becomes apparent that every solution that we have in our culture deals with the symptoms and not the root problem. And if that's the case, we can't build enough shelters quick enough, we can't give enough food away, and we can't raise enough money because God's not mocked by any of that. We need to get down to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is this for God's people. 
The Bible teaches that as Christians, we need to earn as much as we can, we need to save as much as we can, and we need to give away as much as we can. Now, that'll give you a headache because it gives me one. And you know what it takes? It takes wisdom. God's wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. It takes wisdom. How much should I earn? How much should I work? Am I becoming a workaholic? Am I spending too much time working and earning? Am I spending too much time away from my family? Am I spending too much time involved in trying to earn money and generate income? That takes wisdom and discernment, doesn't it? Should I save everything that I make? What portion do we use for the needs of today? What portion should we put away for the needs of tomorrow? You know, how do, how do we do all these things? That takes wisdom, doesn't it? Well, who should we give to? We only have so many resources, and yet God's brought these needs into our life, and they're legitimate. They're people we should help. They're people that have, have, have seeking forgiveness from God. They're experiencing the consequences of actions in the past, and yet they need mercy. They need tenderness. They need compassion. We, we, we have to meet this need, but, but, but how do I do it? You know what it takes? Wisdom, doesn't it? See, this whole issue will keep you on your knees. This whole issue will keep you before God and saying, God, I don't know how much I should work. I don't know how much I should earn. I don't know how much we should save. I don't know how much we should give away. I don't know. Please help me in this area. And may we pray about it as a family. May we discuss it with husband and wife. May we look at the needs of people around us and never grow callous and cold to it. God, help me to understand because this isn't an easy issue. And sometimes it's easier just to write them a check and tell them to hit the road and go on their way than it is to deal with sin in their life and the root problems and the causes and all that goes with it. And, and, and we've got to face the fact that, you know what? There are some people who are worthy to be helped, and there are other people who are not worthy to be helped. And guess what that takes? Wisdom and discernment to know the difference between the two. There are people that were unworthy at a certain time, and now they are worthy. And now that they're worthy, they may become unworthy again. And we need to continually understand that that's subject to change at any moment. And we have to continually reevaluate those who are we, we are helping. Evaluate ministries that we are helping to see if they're still doing what they set out to do. Find out how much of what we give actually goes to meet the needs of those that are supposed to be being met rather than keeping it for themselves. We have to continually challenge one another to look at all these things. We have to look at our society that we live in and say, hey, this welfare culture, this great society that was ushered in in the early 60s where people can have without ever having to work, it isn't working and it's bankrupting our country. And we need to elect people that represent God from a biblical standpoint and saying, you know what, there is no free payday. There is no one that's going to be able to have something given them for nothing without it costing the rest of us something else. And, and, and whether it's the money or the discouragement or the disillusionment or the disheartenment or the fact that, you know, we're getting tired of it and we're not going to do anything anymore. We need to understand that this isn't easy stuff. But to curb the rising problem of hungry and homeless, I think we have to teach and preach a work ethic. If you've got children in your home, you need to be an example to them of someone that works hard for their living. That's somebody who is honest in what they do. They have integrity in what they do. They love what they do. They enjoy it because they realize that work is a blessing from God and it's not a curse. We need to hold people responsible to pay their debts. If they owe, they pay. There's no easy way out. It doesn't matter. You pay your debts. The wicked borrow and they don't repay. God's people always repay. They find a way to honor God. We need to go back to some basic principles of challenging people and changing philosophies that violate biblical mandates. We need to look at all these things. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And if we roll over and play dead, we will be dead. 
We need to understand that we need to take a stand and do what's right before God. And you know where it all starts? It starts in your home. It starts in your heart. It starts with you doing what's right before God. I'm convinced the problems of this country are due to the fact that God is judging us because his people have walked away from his principles and are not holy and righteous before God anymore. It's not because the world we live in is corrupt. That's always been the case. It always will be the case, and God knows it. God judges society and cultures and nations because God's people have sold out and they've become part of the culture in which they live. They're no longer salt. They're no longer light. We need to understand that you and I need to do what's right before God. We need to work hard. We need to have integrity. We need to have honesty. We need to pay our bills. We need to do what's right before God. R.C. Sproul reminds us, and he says this, unless we produce food, we're going to starve. Unless we manufacture clothes, we'll be naked. Unless homes are built, we'll be shelterless. God cares about the human body as well as the human soul, and so production becomes a vital ethical concern for Christians. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to look at a problem that some of us are duped into believing has nothing to do with us. But obviously, as we see this, that you know, there are many of us who are one step away from being homeless if we continue living lives that are disobedient to you. We're one step away from not knowing where our next meal will come from, and a lot of that has to do with just living in disobedience. God, may we confess our sins, and we just trust that you'll cleanse us from it, and that you'll remove those from us. And God, may we continue to look into your word to see what is true, what is right, and may we be obedient as your people to do what is right. God, may we also be sensitive and discerning to the needs of others around us, those who you deem worthy to help. May we pray for wisdom and how to do that in an effective manner. May we also, I, God, may we also ask for forgiveness as we have enabled some of those around us, whether it's friends or family, to continue living in a destructive manner that's displeasing to you by continuing to support whatever their habit of sin is. God, may we ask for forgiveness of taking your resources and giving to those who, you know, frankly, just waste it. God, we need to be sensitive to your word and to your will. We also need to be tender-hearted and compassionate and show mercy to those who have repented from their past, are seeking help for the future. May we understand that uh, a little with righteousness is always better than ample with wickedness. And we just thank you that you know our needs that you meet our needs. And as the psalmist said, as we look back on our life, we'll see that we have never gone without and that you are truly faithful. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.